we were dancing around the fire with them and there was a man crying, looking at us. And we said, what happened? It's like, my biggest dream was that my children would follow this path. And I see you here from the other side of the world, honoring my culture more than my own children do. I'm Luke Story. For the past 22 years, I've been relentlessly committed to my deepest passion, designing the ultimate lifestyle based on the most powerful principles of spirituality, health, psychology, and personal development. The Lifestylist Podcast is a show dedicated to sharing my discoveries and the experts behind them with you. After spending 23 plus years in the trenches of the health and wellness scene, I've seen so many products and different modalities come and go, whether they be supplements or different technologies. But there's one thing that has stuck that I truly believe in and that I use every day, and that is red light therapy. There have been so many proven benefits that it's hard to actually list them all, but here are just a few. Red light therapy repairs sun damage and actually helps you to tolerate sun exposure better and more safely, reduces wrinkles and blemishes, enhances muscle recovery and peak performance, heals acne, fades scars and stretch marks, speeds wound healing, reduces joint inflammation, and increases testosterone production, which is one of my favorite benefits. Red light therapy is so easy to do. Essentially, you stand naked in front of a big panel of red light, and it does magical things to you, just like the natural spectrum of sunlight does. However, it's very difficult for most of us to get enough red light, which only happens at dawn and dusk, by the way, on all of our bodies. So enter the Juve devices. That's J-O-O-V-V which I've been a huge fan of for the past couple of years. And uh, literally, man, I have these things kind of all over the house and I use them all the time. I even have the Juve Go that I use for travel. Uh, It's had a tremendous impact on my health and so many people that I know as well. So if you want to check it out, which I encourage you to do, go to juve.com. That's J-O-O-V-V.com forward slash Luke. Juve.com forward slash Luke. Over there, you'll find tons of content and studies that they give away for free as well as a special bonus when you use that link. That's juve.com forward slash Luke. I'd like to take a moment to talk about EMF or electromagnetic frequencies. Now, if you're a regular listener to this show, you are no stranger to the topic because I've covered it with so many of our past guests. You're probably aware of the dangers of EMF exposure in your home, but you have no idea where to start when it comes to fixing it. You might be concerned about your exposure to the current 3G, 4G, and 5G wireless networks now active in most major cities. You might have even attempted to test the levels in your home yourself with EMF meters you found online and just became frustrated and confused and kind of gave up on the project. Well, same story here. That's why I created the EMF Home Assessment Masterclass with my friend Brian Hoyer. I've been passionate about this topic for many years, and I finally took it upon myself to take all of the information that I've gained and create an amazing video course about it. Now, this is going to be released in the coming weeks, so I wanted to give you a heads up on it. You can go to lukestory.com slash EMF Masterclass. That's lukestory.com EMF Masterclass and sign up for the wait list. You can also text on a U.S. phone the word EMF Masterclass to the number 44222. 
So again, you can text EMF Masterclass to 44222 or go to lukestory.com forward slash EMF Masterclass and you will have the opportunity to enter the wait list. And when you do so, you're going to save a hundred bucks off the course. Yes, that's right. This is over four hours of content. There's seven modules, six bonus videos. And in this particular course, you're going to learn everything, literally everything you could have ever wanted to know about not only how to find the EMF in your home, but how to fix it. It's pretty awesome. So again, go to lukestory.com forward slash EMF masterclass or using a US phone, you can text the word EMF masterclass to the number 44222. Welcome one and welcome all to episode 287 of the Lifestylist podcast, Peyote Powers and Desert Dreams. Before we jump in, I'd like to invite you to follow me on Instagram at Luke Story to watch interviews just like this one in real time as they happen, as well as all of the other field reports I post from around the world as I seek to discover the ultimate lifestyle. You can find me again at Luke Story. Due to the legally sensitive nature of this discussion, our two guests have requested to remain anonymous, a first time for this show. This will explain the gaps of silence you might hear periodically when names are mentioned during the interview. This one was recorded on location in the desert on the morning after an all-night peyote ceremony in which I participated. I was very much under the spell of this beautiful medicine at the time of this recording, which will become clear to you as we dive into a very intimate conversation. We discuss our two guests' fascinating lives as ceremony facilitators and the epic tales of all things peyote, its use, and its history, including my personal experience with them as healers, which at this point has been six times. It's a very mysterious medicine and one that must be experienced in order to fully embrace its healing power, and it's my hope that this conversation will help illuminate the path for those who seek to further understand. As I always like to state during episodes focused on plant medicines or psychedelics, I don't endorse the use of or recommend these experiences to everyone. I'm simply exploring them from a subjective point of view. It's imperative to follow your intuition, wisdom, and to ensure that your motives and the motives of those serving the medicine are clear and in the utmost integrity. Now let's drift into the sacred space of the medicine path with our wise and awakened guests. Enjoy the journey. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. I'm so happy that we're having the opportunity to sit down and chat. And we just completed a two-night, all-night peyote ceremony. Uh, and these two amazing humans led it. And as we went through the experience, I got the sense that you have an amazing story to tell. And I appreciate you sitting down to share it with me. Mm. Let's start at the beginning. Uh, first off... And well, maybe it's not the beginning, it's probably the middle. But how did you two meet? So you have this amazing union that's just been beautiful to experience. And I'm so curious how that came together. We met in Brazil um, in a sacred festival that was gathering a lot of indigenous people. And um, yeah, we had a beautiful story. It took us two and a half years to be together. And um, I was working there. He was there with his family. And um, yeah, he was not in a place to make a commitment back then. So life took us around. (laughs) (laughs) 
a few places and we got together later and got married. You share what your perspective. Is that how you're going to tell your story again? To <laughs> <laughs> the beginning or? Yeah. Better <laughs> <laughs> you tell because I, I'm not, I have no good memory. <laughs> we were just talking about that at breakfast actually yeah. <laughs> exactly he has very selective memory yeah. he remembers only one Allison yeah. has you know obviously been here with me and um, I'll tell her something she's like oh yeah you told me that three or four times <laughs> she'll tell me something I'm like really she's like I told you that three times so yeah I think it, it might be a male female thing so when you guys um, w when you first met and were acquaintances or friends was it in this festival you're talking about, was this involving plant medicines, et cetera? Mm -hmm. And uh, how much did that play into your experience of realizing, oh, maybe there's something more here for her going, you know what, maybe, maybe I do need to settle down and, you know, rest into the confines. Well, not confines. No, that's a horrible way to put it. Rest into the, the, um, a sanctified relationship. Well, okay. So I'm going to tell the story. Since, since you're not going to. <laughs> we met in a magical place in Alto Paraíso in Brazil, which has the largest crystal bed under the earth in the world. It's 80 kilometers of quartz crystal. It's, very, it's a very magical place, a place of manifestation. And uh, we were at this um, festival, which had uh, ayahuasca and peyote ceremonies with different indigenous leaders from around the world. And this is the place where I met my partner who I started with uh, and it is where I met him and also the first indigenous leader we started to work with. is a, It was a place where my entire life shifted. Wow. And uh, when I met him, I wasn't attracted to him. I didn't fancy him to say, but I felt just his energy was something that I wanted to be close to. I wanted to be around him, not necessarily have anything with him. But then we met again after this festival in Sao Paulo and I took him and his family to the beach and then we ended up getting together just for a weekend and then we left. Uh, that it wasn't, I didn't really enjoy much. It was not, how can I say? I didn't feel like a connection with him. And then later... I found out he was in a relationship and he was not. So I thought I would never see this guy again in my life. And he returned the following year. We met again at the same festival, which was on the beach this time. And this is when we really fell in love. This, the medicine showed me that he was the man of my life. He was my soulmate. Showed me I would be with him for the rest of my life. And uh, our spirits have been traveling together many lifetimes. And it was magical. And then we stayed together for two weeks and then we broke up again because of uh, another situation that I found out there was another woman lost <laughs> in the world that thought she, she was with him. And then <laughs> once again, I thought I would never see him again. And six months after that, I went to visit him in Mexico and I really fell in love again. <laughs> and then we broke up again and then... He kept coming back into my, into my life. Somehow I kept on closing my heart and with his big smile, somehow he always made his way back in. 
And I kept praying, I want a man exactly like that, but aligned, you know, in this aspect. And then it wasn't until 2000, and it wasn't until the first that we did, he was one of the guests, and it was a gathering of indigenous leaders from all around the world sharing their sacred practices. And uh, at this point, I had been praying for him to be with another woman who was about to have his child. I prayed all year for that to happen, for him to be good and aligned in that respect, to be with her. And it happened and somehow everything changed. He came back into my life and uh, I fell in love. And it's still, again, <laughs> I probably never really fell out of love. I was just hiding it from myself, from all these situations and not accepting because my pride was like, no, he, he's not good enough for me, you know? <laughs> and uh, he was so helpful in everything, taking down everything. He came back the first one, hey, can I help you load the truck? And it was such an intense experience for me, you know, the whole organization. It took, it was a lot. It took a lot of energy. So he was there. He supported me. And then, and then we began our relationship. And at the beginning, it was, it was difficult because his heart wasn't completely open. So we stayed together for like six months or so. And then I went to the Amazon. I was doing a dieta down there. And during this dieta, I was prepared to break up with him because I felt I was ready to give everything and he wasn't ready to go. He was 80% or 70% in and sometimes very selfish, sometimes closed. And so he came to visit me and I was prepared. I was pretty sure I wanted to be single. I was in the Amazon by myself for two months and he came to meet me there and he stayed one month. And in that experience, um, ayahuasca helped him open his heart, showed him that he had a blockage from when he was 18 years old, that a girlfriend had cheated on him. And at that point, he closed his heart and couldn't fall in love with another woman until then. And then he had a vision of a flower in his heart and it was me. And from this day onwards, he transformed into Prince Charming. <laughs> into the most perfect man I've ever met. <laughs> Yeah, I sense that. I sense that. And you did a great job of, of telling the story from your perspective. And I relate to so many parts of that, you know, more so having just, you know, over the weekend had a similar experience actually, you know, here with Allison. And it's amazing how these, um, these medicines just really are so transformative, you know, so I'd love to thank you for sharing that. And I'd love to dive into that obviously much deeper because Many people that listened to this show before understand kind of my background of having abused drugs and alcohol earlier in life to the point where I had to stop all of that, including, you know, LSD and mushrooms, um, never done intentionally um, mm -hmm. at all, just with the intention of escaping rather than inscaping, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so it was something that just those people did and was kind of like, well, that's good for you. I mean, I'm happy people are having these awakenings and that's wonderful, but... I'm kind of excluded from that party because I was so afraid of opening that portal of almost demonic possession. <laughs> you know, it was really mm -hmm. kind of what it felt like for so long. Um, 
but it's incredible how uh, how these medicines work and um, having the experience here over the weekend of really meeting so many new people yet so many people that are so awake and so um, genuine and authentic and brave it was just it was so profound and seeing the medicine communities from that mm-hmm. perspective has really been eye-opening for me so I'm mm-hmm. curious how um, each of you Take me back for each of you the first time you took an entheogen like ayahuasca, peyote, whatever, whatever it was for you, and how what led you to that? For me, I was my my fifth experience was in Mexico uh, with a group of friends in in a in an island middle of uh, of the Pacific coast, and we just was was one night we just put a fire and we we share medicine my friend uh bring for us um and yeah that was the first uh when i started to close to try for first time the the medicine we call hikuri which the is the native name of of the of this cactus peyote um and after that um until I, I went to university, I, stu- I studied anthropology, social anthropology, and then I started to get interest in go to visit some communities. And the first community I went was with uh, Rarica, was in the High Sierra, Mexico City, on Mex- um, Mexico. Um, what what region is that? In like what state? It's in Jalisco, ah, in the okay. high mountains of Jalisco. Uh, it's very far. And then Amarakame, who is an elder, invite us to visit his his family, and that was a big celebration of in Holy Week. They do like seven days of celebration, and then I was with a group of friends of the university, and then and we was walking down from the center center of the village. They was walking through through a place was nothing there just a fire and a group of people and they just start to look the fire and some of them say hey you want to come in and you say okay and then I go to fire there and I saw a, a, a elder like probably 100 years old 90 years old he was just singing all the time with the the feathers and he didn't stop he just was singing so people was around, and then in some moment they say, "Oh, can you take care of the fire? We will, we will go out, and then we will come back." And they so just they they make a line, and then with the music they have a, a violin and a little guitar, and they start to go online like that. They took it like a a balls, uh, it was full of peyote balls. And they go went to give peyote to all the community. To they go to the small churches there, to the house of the maracames, to the house of the president of the community, and then and then, and then they come back, no? And they leave me they leave me alone uh, in the fire, and with the elder, the elder continues singing. He didn't stop in any moment, no? And then they offer me to eat the peyote there, no? I start to eat, and that was that was good. And then some moment with the chance of the 
of the elder, I start I start to connect with the fire, no. And then somehow I was feeling something uh, like a a little pain for some relation I had in that moment. I asked if uh, a guy from there if he if he can tell if the, he can do a healing for me. And I said, okay. And they talking with radical language. And then the, the elder say like that. And then some moment, he just stand up. And I was just very connected with the fire. And he started to do a healing to me. And then I saw in that moment how something, he took something from my heart inside, emotional. But I saw how took it out, no, that moment. And I feel so liberated. Like, wow, my, my heart. Uh, rest, no, like, wow, was amazing, no. And then after that, my my heart opened a lot, and then I start to have, a, I start to walk in the mountain, I start to have beautiful vision. I was looking deers in everywhere, and I was looking like a, I've got this this kind of of rombo over there. Uh, it's like a yeah, it's, I've got I don't know we call sikuri. I was looking this everywhere, everywhere, and that was that was very 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 good, and that was one of my experience most I they connect me, and after that uh, I also I went start to go to the desert. I went the first time with a group of friends, and I start to go every year. It's already sixteen years I've been going there to the desert. Um, and then like 10 years ago, I started to go with, with the community, with the, with Radica, no? and then the community accepted me in the community, like part of the community. And then uh, like three years, almost three years, we did the commitment of Maracame, no? Maracame is just a very deep commitment. Uh, Maracame, uh, means, uh, the person who can healing who can sing, who can dream. Um, and it's a very uh, sacred uh, commitment. And you do, if you want to do it by yourself, uh, you can stay with, uh, in the case of the men, they cannot be with a woman for five years. You cannot touch a woman for five years. Did you do that? Uh, no, in that moment. And then if you're married, you can do, uh, you need to do like a diet time. You cannot be with your wife. But I I didn't do when I was single. I just wait, got married because... <laughs> Smart. Uh, yeah. Because the Maracami told, told us... <laughs> That's no? how I would do it too. Yeah. <laughs> the Maracami told us, if, if if you're not sure of this, you better don't get commitment. No? Because you commit with the, with the medicine, with the spirit, with the fire. And then it's a problem. If you don't finish the commitment you can die this is very sacred is okay and i think very well like cost me like more than 10 years to decide to do right. this commitment no? until and, I, I found and she was ready to do it and then we, we did it together, we did and, together and in that initiation is part of that then giving you kind of the elders uh blessings to do what we did this weekend mm-hmm. and actually lead rather than just being a participant or firekeeper or something like that did you have 
In other words, like more subordinate roles within ceremony before that initiation. Of and course. Now you're the one that's like holding the space. Ten years caused me to like a service, like a going do the fire, doing there the music, like the music. You know, it's like a other university. No, it's a spiritual university. You need to go through all all this. No, to arrive to this point, you can really understand what you're doing. No, and. And then when you do the commitment, in that moment also open like a big uh, door, no, in the spiritual world, no. Because when you are commitment, uh, it's like a, you make a relationship with the with the elements, with the plants, and with the sacred spirit, no. And then it's the moment they start to look at you, no, and they say, okay, you make already a friend, no, and then. It's like a, you have this relation and you can communicate, no? And that is the moment when it's, this door is open, you can really work, no? And help people, no? Wow, what a fascinating story. That's such a rigorous, a rigorous training, you know? And it, it's, I don't know, Alice and I were actually talking about this this morning. And, um, you know, this is not to be disparaging toward anyone that's having leading plant medicine ceremonies in their own way, um, because... You know, I'm sure there are people that are doing a good job of it mm -hmm. and some maybe that aren't and are doing something dangerous or harmful and not being able to have the appropriate training to mm -hmm. hold space like that. Mm -hmm. But I can say that over the weekend, it was very clear when I walked into the ceremony and saw you two, I was like, oh, I'm good. You know, I felt very, mm -hmm. um, very safe and just got the sense that this was not your first rodeo, mm -hmm. as we say here. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, They was using you know, Raramuri people, Wirarika. Uh, most of them here in this area in Arizona, pues, the, the use of the peyote was very, very extent in all this area, no? especially around the desert. No? And we have um, all this area of the desert from Texas until center of Mexico, San Luis Potosí, are all these native groups around this area. I was using the peyote, and peyote is, is, belongs to the Mexica culture, no? and more of, most of the people know this plant in Mexico, and for us it's a sacrament, and everyone, the Mexican, one, they need to go to the desert at least one time in their life. It's like, go to the Mecca for the Arab people, you know, it's, we, we need to go to the desert to visit and connect with with our ancestors. It's interesting as you were kind of explaining that history, I almost had a question. Well, I did have a question for him. I was thinking, wow, what's the correlation between Native American peoples and their relationship to peyote and the people in Mexico? And then as you were talking, I'm like, wait, there was no countries when that started to yeah, happen, right? There were yeah. just, you know, sort of um, uh, tribes going out through that whole area. Mm -hmm. and there was no difference between Mexico and the yeah. United States, right? Yeah. So it's like wherever it grew, those cultures embraced and discovered it. Sounds like um, wherever it happened to show up. Mm -hmm. um, within that, uh, you know, I, I lack the understanding on this, so it might not even happen, but is there ever any um, San Pedro going on or is that really more in... Uh, growing in part of uh, Peruvian cultures. Yeah, here's San Pedro. We don't know nothing about San Pedro. Yeah, it no. doesn't, doesn't no, play out here. Okay. No, here. This is more in the South, Ecuador, Got Peru. It. Have either of you ever um, worked with that medicine? I tried it once. Yeah, I tried it once or, or, or 
already. You weren't impressed, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, was, that was good, you know. <laughs> Depend of the people, no, to sure to share the medicine. No, the guy who I was doing the ceremony, he did, he didn't did nothing. He just gave me a lot of San Pedro and leave me there <laughs> by myself. Oh wow! Uh, but <laughs> but you know, I think we need to show the a respect uh, to any plant or honor, you know, especially if you're working with people. To take care of them, um, um, depends of how the people work. Uh, depends the result you will have. No, the San Pedro was very strong for me. No, uh, but I didn't connect so much like like this plant we use from many many years. No, in, mm-hmm. in our in our land. Got it. Yeah, it's um, from what I understand. The active ingredient in both of those cactus is mescaline. Is that Right? Yeah, you know, this is one of the alkaloids, no? But the true, this this plant contains a lot. It's a mix of a lot of alkaloids, a lot of medicinal properties. Um, but I don't know what, uh, for us, we don't see these kind of things, no? Like, because uh, the people who make like uh, these kind of drugs, no? Just they want to do the synthesis to extract just this, the mescaline to, from the plant, is for us, it's, a, it's a something uh, very bad, no? Spiritual crime. It's a spiritual crime because you you are killing the spirit of the plant, no? Just try to get something from the plant. And for us, it's not, not possible to do that, no? We like to just mm, respect this plant. We never boil this plant also, no? Because we need to respect the plant and we are working with the spirit of the plant. And the spirit is all together, no? All the properties of, of all the elements of the of the plant. That's interesting. You know, I was looking at uh, some people chewing the coca leaves and, you know, in around the property here and things like that. And uh, I was thinking about how, you know, that particular plant... <laughs> in its unadulterated pure form with everything that nature intended it to have is seemingly harmless and beneficial. But the extract of that one, as we know, you know, is pretty dark. And I've never heard any like success stories of someone's life being improved by the ingestion of cocaine anymore. It's mixed with gasoline and a bunch of other chemicals. It's, it's, you know, it's the cult of the devil. Thank God. I mean, (laughs) I don't know that would have deterred me, but I remember seeing a few years ago a YouTube video somewhere in Colombia or something of them making cocaine out in the jungle. And it's, yeah, it's like they... They put the paste in a bunch of gasoline and dry it out. I mean, it's just, you're like, oh my God, people take that stuff. It's just disgusting, the process of um, how it's made. But anyway, um, thank you I think all plants, all teacher plants are sacred. Know that nature put them here, you know, for a higher purpose. And anything that is taken by a human and modified and broken down and, and synthesized, you know, nature, God gave to us something perfect. You know, why do we have to go there and break it apart to try to create something that will simply harm our bodies? It's like the human um, tendency to play God, right? Makes no sense. Yeah. (laughs) So what was your first experience with uh, any type of plant medicine like? Mm. My first experience was with ayahuasca. But the first experience after that, that truly, completely changed my life was with a plant called iboga from Africa. And um, 
that was absolutely incredible was I saw my father who had passed away, who appeared to me in his real form. And um, I had to make, I didn't realize at this point that I held so much grief inside of my heart for his death. When he passed, I was 21 and I was in a, you know, in, still in a party phase in my life. So I hid all my emotions away and escaped to drugs and to different things. And so when I started to work with the sacred plants, I opened doors inside of myself, inside of my heart to understand all the grief that I had been oblivious to that was stored inside of me. So in this ceremony, it was very powerful. I saw him, I made peace with his death. I saw all these different aspects of myself, of ego, of vanity. I saw like mirrors breaking full of blood. I used to be a model before and I saw how much of my identity was attached to that world and to all the illusion of self-love that I had, which was totally based on the way I looked. No, it was totally based on what society told me about myself. And uh, so I saw a lot of belief systems shattering in there. And then it showed me all, all of my gifts. It showed me that I was a healer. It manifested all this energy coming out of my hands. I didn't, didn't know what was happening. And it showed me different levels of my, of my subconscious and how I could connect to different dimensions. And so it was a two-day retreat also. I think it was, was my... Was this in Brazil? It was in London. Oh, okay. And uh, it was so beautiful. I started working with this group. They took me in. They were training me to just be a helper you know, there and to uh, harness my healing abilities, connect with my gifts. So I spent some time working there as an assistant and being trained by them. And that plant truly transformed my life in such a massive way. It was when, when I acknowledged that this, there was no way back for me, for, you know, to my old life or to anything that I was doing before. And this is when I made my commitment to the sacred path to really start working on myself and, and um, healing to letting go of all the things I didn't need anymore inside of myself. Yeah. <laughs> Do you, you know, and during ceremony, you have more of a, uh, a vocal presence and that mm -hmm. you're doing more of the talking. Generally mm -hmm. speaking, he's doing some great singing. <laughs> By the way, don't let me forget. I want to see if I can get some of your tracks mm -hmm. and I'll put them in the podcast. Okay. If you, you know, if you'd mm -hmm. yeah, be okay good. with that, I think that I can never use original music, you mm -hmm. know, cause it's copyrighted and stuff. Yeah. So unless I interview a musician, mm -hmm. um, I'm unable to do that, but mm -hmm. I think that could be neat, but you, you were speaking so much and, um, I was really impressed by um, your command of linguistics and, mm -hmm. you know, you're speak, translating Spanish for him. And I'm assuming you're very fluent in Portuguese and your English mm -hmm. is great. And you're just so, um, so articulate um, and seem to be very knowledgeable, not only about the plants, but just from the framework, I get the sense that you have a deep understanding of just basic psychology. Mm -hmm. uh, have you, you know, do you read spiritual books from different uh, uh, teachers or modalities like you know are you sitting around listening to 
a spiritual audio book or going to any kind of retreats <laughs> or, or anything like that? Or is all of your teaching coming out of the, these more um, traditional um, teachings? I only study with the indigenous elders. I started my path in studying in Brazil. I'm dieting with a, with a teacher called Benki Pianco from the Ashaninka people. But before I started studying with him, I was studying with ayahuasca, which is the plant of my country. That's the plant this master also works with. And so I've been on this path for eight years, completely dedicating myself to that. And then I took, and then I started working with, uh, with the Urrarica, started working with the peyote. Since we made the commitment a lot, a lot open for us because you dedicate, you give yourself you know, to this path. And I asked for that as well. I asked to, before this commitment, I had been working with plants. I asked to learn to pray. And I didn't know how to speak very well, or speak publicly before that. And the plants taught me, you know, and we sit a lot with the elders. We work with, we have this, we also have a foundation that works a lot with indigenous culture. So we spend a lot of time in native communities. And we just listen to them and watch the way they are, you know, how their, their beings are totally connected to the elements, to the earth, to their sacred rituals. And for us, that's what, that's what we do whenever we go to the desert, whenever we go to this pilgrimage. We leave offerings for these spirits in the places where they live. And through those offerings, we exchange that energy with them. When we made that commitment with the fire, we said, we're going to be coming here for this Marakami commitment. And he says five years, but it's not guaranteed. It is how long. Some people do it for 12. Some people never get there. There's not a guarantee. It depends on the way you walk. Depends on your actions. But whenever you go and make that commitment, if you walk aligned with what is required from you, then you receive. Everything opens, all doors. You start to receive the teachings directly from the spirits, directly from the plants. And uh, different gifts start to manifest. The past in our physical lives, in our material, everything has opened a lot of opportunities. And um, we're just uh, guided and protected by them. I don't, I don't read any psychology books or spiritual material, but I do love to be in the presence of indigenous elders and learn from them. Because to me, that is truly the most valuable lessons one can learn in this life is to first connect with oneself no, and then to the spirits and to the nature around us. I think the indigenous people have been doing it right all, all along. You know, we tried a different method with all this modern technology and uh, we've realized <laughs> that it's not working and now everyone <laughs> wants to go back right. to them, no, to unlearn everything that we learned to start again in a more sustainable way. <laughs> yeah, I've, I always think of um, spiritual growth more of a, as a process of uh, subtraction, mm-hmm. right? Than addition. Like, oh, I need to learn more, learn more. And I've got caught up in that. Like, oh, I'm going to read the next book and this and that and, you know, get more information, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas the information really is like letting go of untruth and allowing truth to reveal itself because that's who we are and what's inherently behind the illusion, right? So I think that's a really beautiful, a beautiful way to put it. Um, what... What's um, either or both of your take on this idea of, this is not something I particularly know much about, but it's just something I, I heard talk about in terms of the interfacing between 
say, Western culture and the indigenous tribal peoples around the world and this concept of um, cultural appropriation, you know, where you have uh, Westerners or someone, not necessarily even Westerners, but someone from a different culture going into a culture and um, taking elements of that and then capitalizing on that in some way or sharing that throughout the world. For me, uh, my perspective is, and I'm not an indigenous person of anywhere, I'm a complete mutt from 16 different countries in Europe or something. So I, my lineage is very fragmented and I'm not connected to it. Um, so that might be part of it. But it's like, to me, truth is is kind of universal and it's a gift from God. And as are the medicines, and it seems to me that the medicines and God's truth and wisdom has a way of working its way around the planet and being shared with different people as it's meant to be. Mm. And that's my sort of positive view on it. And it's like if th- that wisdom and these ceremonies and traditions weren't shared, the planet and the people on it might not be able to heal. Mm-hmm. In other words, if that information was coveted and kept in secret or kept insulated by that indigenous culture, then they might not even be able to <laughs> sustain their own way of life because the awakening would be stunted outside of their community. And mm-hmm. those but the awakening is so needed in order for people like me to wake up and uh, build a reverence and a respect for those peoples. And I think that have been so subjugated by imperialism and everything that we know has happened based on the egoic nature of greedy, aggressive cultures that have gone around and sort of conquered all of these people and to take their resources, you know? Mm -hmm. So what's your perspective on, you know, you being from Brazil and going to another country and taking a tradition from Africa and sharing that and, and et cetera, Mm -hmm. you know, what, what's kind of your perspective on that being so embedded within that life as you both Mm -hmm. are? I never shared a tradition from Africa. I went there to learn. Right. I never worked, I never served this plant. And um, for me, the commitment I have with this plant from Mexico, I went to the community and I studied with the elders and I made a commitment with the fire. I dedicate my entire life to it. No, so for me, it's not about where one is from. We're all indigenous from somewhere. No, Every single culture in the world has its roots, its traditions, which m- most were stripped from. But in the core root, everyone was practicing the sacred ways at one point. And uh, for me, what bothers me the most is that a lot of people go to these places, go to the Amazon once and come back serving ayahuasca. And or go and copy the sacred designs and start making money with them. And we see that in the world, the meaning of the word sacredness has been forgotten. Western society doesn't know what sacred means. And therefore, they think you just go and take something and make it yours. That's not how it works. These medicines are very, very, very sacred. They are not recreational drugs. They are not to be taken out to have fun and to go chat. People come to our ceremony. Sometimes they behave like they're in the living room of their house. They're lying down. They're talking. And then they say, oh, it's very strict here. I'm like, no, you're here talking to God. Sit up. And behave as such. And, and for that, you know, for a ceremony to have a safe container, one needs to study and develop relationships with the elements. Because otherwise, if someone is just singing beautiful, that they are pure words, it's not a show. 
No, the, the over there in the ceremony, we're not the ones doing the work. The fire is, the elements are, you know, but one needs to have the connection to them to invite them in. You know, if you have never been initiated, if you haven't ever left an offering, made a connection with them, how are they going to come when you call? It's the same with people. Now you don't become best friends with someone in a day. It takes nurturing. And also to be able to do this kind of work, we need to do a lot of sacrifice, a lot. You know, in the dietas in the Amazon, I spend three months, three months cleansing, taking different plants, cleansing the blood, cleansing the entire body, opening the channels. And for the first one is about getting rid of all anger in the heart, taking everything that doesn't serve me. And then take, getting rid of the ego, getting rid of negative emotions, of judgments. We need to be able to receive someone who is a murderer, a rapist, a child, whatever the person may be. We need to be in the position of receiving that person with the same amount of love we would receive you or anybody that comes to our ceremonies with zero judgment and be there to help them. Because if we want to help the world, first we need to help ourselves. First we need to be clear to be able to do that. And so for me, cultural appropriation is the meaning of that, which the indigenous elders shared with us, is going and taking something without authorization and commercializing it, capitalizing on it, whatever it may be. But they're very happy to share their culture. In fact, we were the last time we went to our elders community for the pilgrimage, we were dancing around the fire with them and there was a man crying, looking at us. And we said, what happened? It's like, my biggest dream was that my children would follow this path. And I see you here from the other side of the world, honoring my culture more than my own children do. And so for me, I feel that everything is about commitment, honesty with ourselves to realize where we are, you know, and, uh, to realize we can't help anybody before we help ourselves. And also, things that are not ours don't belong to us. You know, we're not going to start making this stuff by ourselves and selling. We go to the community and we help them with their art. Right, you know? the art that you guys bring, which is so beautiful. <laughs> it's just like insane. <laughs> like we, for those listening, we had, there's a table here in our, in our friend's house and it was all laid out, just all these beautiful... <laughs> piece of art and jewelry and stuff like that. And, mm. um, and then I was um, asking someone about it and they said, oh no, her travels with all this stuff and raises money to bring back to the cultures that make it. I was like, that is cool. Mm -hmm. So I think it's, maybe it's, it's, it sounds like um, from your perspective, that concept, because it, it's, it's very nuanced, you know, because one could say from one perspective, it's like, well, if these traditions weren't carried out into the world at large, they could die because no one knows about them except for this very mm -hmm. insulated, you know, tribe or indigenous group of peoples. Um, but I think your perspective is really beautiful because it's, it's, it's about um, not like how you're sharing that. It's not that you're sharing it. It's how you're sharing it. Right. Mm -hmm. And the intentionality behind it and the, um, the reverence and respect for those peoples and, I think you guys are doing a great job of that. It's, mm -hmm. it's just something I like. I I think about sometimes when I hear people use that term. I'm I don't quite understand it because I. It's like in the states, it's gotten so kind of re ridiculously politically correct, where you can't buy a Halloween costume now. That you know you can't wear a sombrero or like you know it's like 
it's a f- everything's offensive to everyone, you know. So well, but you know, people that are wearing headdresses, for instance, that's okay. extremely offensive it because is? Okay. that isn't, you know, that is only passed through by initiation. One cannot go to a shop and buy a headdress and wear it. You know, headdress so, is the most sacred item. So this is extremely offensive to see people wearing headdresses high on drugs on Burning Man, for instance. And I think it. a lot okay. came from from using things that are sacred either from using original ones or from mimicking them and copying them and, and using that. It's high, highly offensive for the people that come from those cultures that, that hold those things in such high regard that it's an object that wouldn't even go out of someone's house if not to go straight into a ceremony. Oh, that's interesting. So it's likely that, you know, somebody buying, um, you know, uh, a Native American costume or something for Halloween just has no idea that that's even the case because mm-hmm. it's just kind of part of a commercialized... Um, kind of fabricated uh, uh, um, tradition like Halloween or something like that, right? And so it's like, wow, you don't even think about it. And so for someone like me, I'm like, what's the big deal? Like, why is everyone so butthurt mm-hmm. about <laughs> things like that? But that mm-hmm. that actually makes a lot of sense. And I think mm-hmm. it's a lack of awareness, right? So perhaps conversations like this will allow people to have a more broad understanding of that. Because mm-hmm. it seems to me sometimes it just, it gets so it's just kind of these ideas spread out in a way that becomes kind of neurotic where I'm thinking, what can I like, if I cook spaghetti, am I offending the Italians? You know, it's just like, it, can, it swings so far to the other side. I'm just like, I don't know. I think this is getting ridiculous. So I just kind of keep out of the conversation there and just, I feel like I'm a respectful person based on whatever knowledge I have at any given time. I'm, you know, absolutely respect everyone as much as possible but Mm -hmm. that's a really interesting perspective i appreciate you sharing that the indigenous they sell what is okay for people to wear no whatever you find in markets you know at animal gathering all the elders bring their market all those clothes they're okay but they also have sacred design so it's not a piece of clothing you go clubbing with something you wear out when you're not you know (laughs) when you you mentioned burning man i was like okay i get it (laughs) Okay, and you know, no offense to my Burning Man people, but you know, I see you on Instagram. It's getting wacky out there. What's your perspective on that? On that concept, you know, being someone who's really deeply embedded within these traditions. Yeah, like Vivian says, it's all about the commitment and respect you have, no? And and what you can give back to to the community you're working, no? And also have the. Um, the back of the community, no, they accept you because it's part of the. It's when you they make you part of the family, no. They trust in you, no. When you are working with the people, no. And I think it's, it's most this trust they need to build with the work, with the chair, with uh, with the years, no. Something, and then when you have the back of the people, they have the 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 respect. Uh, is is when they open the door, no, to to give you something sacred, no, share something sacred, no. For us, like a commitment we have, I know many of the elders they will never open a a, a diet or a commitment like maracame for anybody, no, because it's 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 a very sacred, no. But they open just because with the years, with the time. They saw you, no? They saw you what's your real intention, no? And then is when they, they can open the door, no? You can learn and go deep in the in the in the sacred knowledge. Mm-hmm. 
We'll be right back at you after this brief but important announcement. As listeners of this show will no doubt know, I'm a huge fan of being in nature as much as possible. Even though I live in the city, I'm outdoors and in the sun as much as I possibly can. As a result, I really have to take care of my skin. Well, I don't have to do anything. If I wanted to prematurely age, I guess I could not do much. But uh, the fact is I get a lot of sun. I'm outdoors in the wind, hot, cold all the time, as much as humanly possible. So I really need great skincare products. And that's where our sponsor, Osea, comes in. These guys make products that are sustainably packaged, non-toxic, cruelty-free, vegan, and made with love in California. And if you're looking to help reveal and illuminate your natural radiance and protect your skin from damage, whether you're looking for hydration, oil balancing, anti-aging, or blemish solutions, Osea is the brand you want. You can find them at oseamalibu.com slash the lifestylist. That's O-S-E-A malibu.com slash the lifestylist. Each product is infused with sustainably sourced organic Patagonian seaweed and active botanicals that create a nutrient and mineral rich bioavailable base. And that bioavailable base is really important. You don't want beauty and skincare products that sit on top of your skin. You want it to soak in and do what nature intended it to do. And Osea products do just that. Osea stands for the elements of wellness, ocean, sun, earth, and atmosphere. And that fits perfectly into the lifestylist lifestyle. So again, go to oseamalibu.com slash the lifestylist. That's O-S-E-A malibu.com slash the lifestylist for 10% off your first purchase of $50 or more and free shipping on U.S. orders of $75 or over, and free samples with every order. Check it out. And now, back to the interview. Let's talk a bit about the ceremony itself, and I'd like to reflect some of my experience having it been, as I said, the first two times that I've ever worked with this. Um, Actually, that's not, not exactly true. When I was about... Someone was asking me if I'd done peyote, and I was like, no, no, I haven't done it. And then I remembered when I was maybe, I was probably about 12 years old, I was already doing lots of drugs. It's kind of part of my culture, um, where I'm from, that was very prevalent. And I think I might have been, I was always looking for something to get high Mm -hmm. on, because I just had to numb my experience, because it was a very painful experience a lot of the time. And uh, one of my friends had... We'd all kind of steal drugs from people's parents, you know, and the parents would leave. We'd go through all their shit and take whatever mm-hmm. drugs we could find. And someone found some peyote. Mm-hmm. And I knew I had heard of it and I knew it was a drug that you could, you know, get you high. And so, but we were so young and stupid. We, we didn't know you're supposed to eat it. So we smoked it, you know, in a pipe and nothing happened, you know? And I was like, well, I don't see what the big deal is about peyote. I didn't feel anything, you know? So I had technically taken that plant um, very unintentionally uh, at one point. But when I walked into the teepee and, you know, at the point at which the ceremony arrived where we were served the, um, the medicine, I really did my best to just trust in the process and let go of any expectation in terms of kind of sitting there and uh, waiting for it to hit, so to speak, and what that might be like. And I just, I really didn't want to project any um, any expectations on that. And it was really interesting that both nights and there were the way that these guys do it for the listeners is, uh, you know, there's kind of multiple servings throughout the night in different forms, you know, like uh, little, what you call chips, like s- dried slices mm-hmm. of the peyote buttons and then a powder with a tea and 
uh, then much later on some a cacao kind of paste infused with the peyote. And um, so as I'm taking it during the night, I am kind of even letting go of those expectations, kind of waiting for it to come on. And, and both nights, it's like, I didn't really feel much that was perceivable in terms of closing my eyes and seeing any sort of visuals or the fire looking strange or anything like that. I think in terms of being in an altered state, perhaps the only significant things that I noticed were just the, um, the kind of um, omnidirectional uh, element of the music where all sounds kind of seem to be coming from the same place all at once, mm-hmm. if that makes any sense. Like, I can't tell that there is a guitar over there and a drum over there and this over there. It's just the soundscape is really different than it would be in your normal waking state. And so as I, you know, just kind of surrendered into that, I did get the sense at times that I'm like, maybe I have a really high tolerance or I'm immune to this medicine. Cause I'm, even though I don't have a really concrete expectation, like, Oh, this is going to be like ayahuasca or something. Mm-hmm. I definitely thought, Oh shit, get ready. Like I'm going to feel very altered in a, in a different state of consciousness. And it wasn't very perceivable. However, each morning when the sun came up and the ceremony you know, sort of came to a close, we do what's called the sharing circle. And as people started to speak and reflect their experiences, then not even the sense of feeling like high or anything, but just having realizations and having very obvious healing take place within my heart and spirit through each of these brilliant, beautiful people's shares. Like that's when the medicine hit me, but it didn't hit me in the sense of like, oh my God, I feel so like, higher I'm seeing things or hallucinate or anything like that. It's just, it's just a feeling inside my emotional body that is affected in relation to those other people. Um, so I sense that each individual's experience is going to be different with peyote each time. And that, um, you know, each person in that ceremony probably had a very different experience that I had, but if I were to continue on the journey, subsequently I would have experiences that are vastly different from the ones I had. And I might Mm -hmm. just be floored and completely, you know, in an altered state where I didn't hear. So I don't know where the question is in here. I'm trying to arrive at Mm -hmm. it. As I said, I just kept trusting the process and I'm extremely thrilled with the results. There's a lot of healing that took place for me, specifically just in my heart and a lot of letting go of fear and things like that. Um, in the ceremony that we did, uh, was that kind of the same amount of medicine that served every time? And is it common that someone doesn't have a visceral, really powerful kind of physical experience? This is not what it's about. First <laughs> yeah, of all, okay, yeah, yeah. this medicine is the medicine of the heart. Okay, it's the medicine of love. It connects us with our with our essence. It connects us with our divinity. You know? and so. It works in such a deep, deep, deep level. We have seen countless miracles happen with this medicine. We have seen cancer be cured in one ceremony, 14 centimeter tumor disappearing. We have seen many, many, many diseases and conditions being healed like that. And so this medicine is about us looking into ourselves. It takes us inside to check in with ourselves. What is it that we don't need anymore? To let go of baggage, to let go to open our channels. And of course, someone that has done a lot of drugs, these things stay in the cells of the body. It takes years and years to cleanse. And the more p- 
pure, the more open the channels are, the more one can perceive and the more one can connect spiritually. So this medicine opens our pineal gland, it, regen- it alkalizes the body, regenerates the cells of the body, and it, open- it works on a subconscious level and a cellular level as well. Healing and bringing, you saw in the sharing circle, many people had a life-changing experience and perceived so much. And um, it also comes, it stays with us and things open up, more clarity, more realizations. It is the medicine of presence. No, it cleanses our minds and it opens up the communication with the elements. So we can hear the messages coming from the fire, the water. That's why we have ceremonies with the elements, the little ceremonies inside the ceremony to open up that connection. And uh, we gather to pray, to make an offering to spirit, to stay one night up connecting to our guides, connecting to the ancestors of the land, connecting to the elements. So it's not about sensations, feelings, visions. You know, those come later and the visions come as a gift. You know, when one is ready to receive them. We say psychedelics and hallucinogens. Those two words are used for drugs. LSD, everything chemical. Those are hallucinations they provide. Entheogens. It's entheo means God. Entheogen is the sacred plants, the sacred teacher plants. Is a way of connection with God. So we don't talk about God. We talk with God directly in the ceremonies. And uh, the visions that arise, they are not hallucinations. They are the spiritual world. Is when we can have a glimpse into the world behind this 3D um, simulation that we see here. And so that happens to people in the first time only when they're very, very sensitive, very... Um, their channels are very open, no? Otherwise, it takes some time. But, <laughs> but even if you can perceive what happened, everything happened in a very deep level. And with time, in the coming weeks, you perceive more and more and more. <laughs> yeah, and it's not about the quantity, no? Because when you already connect with this sacred spirit, you, you don't need so much, no? You, a little bit, and it's just this connection, no? Of, uh, once our elder, they don't need it anymore. They are connected already, no? And that is the, the goal, no? To arrive to this connection, no? And don't need nothing to just, just connect, no? But uh, if the person is very, there are a lot of toxic, toxicity in, in the body, they have a lot of problem, emotional problem, of course, the first thing the medicine will do will will need to cleanse first that before you start to connect with high energies, no? And it's a process, takes time, no? Let's talk about, and this foundation you speak of. It's very interesting, and I think uh, I had an invite to it a few months ago, and it just wasn't aligned at that particular time due to travel, but it looked like a really fascinating event and I still don't know a lot about it. So break down kind of how that came to be and what your mission is with that. So it's a gathering of 40 indigenous elders from all over the world. It is four days of sacred ceremonies. No entheogenic medicines are served there. It's only sacred rituals. So the medicine served are only cacao and tobacco. And the elders share their sacred ways to connect to the elements, to connect to the earth. Pretty much everyone that goes there claims to change their lives forever because it gives people tools to take back home 
and not have the need to use anything external, to know how to work with the water as medicine, to know how to pray with the elements, how to bless themselves with the earth and with the sun every day. And through creating relationship with the elements, you know, we are, they give us life. We are made of them. And so when we create relationship with them, we create a whole and we become part of the whole. We no longer feel individual and separate. So also they start to listen to us, listen to our prayers and help us, help us cleanse, help us heal, help us connect to spirit. And, uh, it was a mission that was bestowed upon us. Really. We never prayed for it. It, it happened like that. Someone, someone knew I had a lot of contacts in Ibiza where it was, where the first time took place. And he asked, it was a person who donated some money to our foundation and um, asked me for advice to do an event for him. And as I was in a meeting with him, I said, why don't you do an indigenous gathering, gathering all these people? And he was like, but how would I do that? I know nothing about it. Would you want to, to help? And I was like, of course. And uh, I started working for, for this person And he then he realized that actually this had nothing to do with what he does and he didn't have the bandwidth to, to go into it. So he decided to just donate the money to the Boa Foundation and allow us to do it. And it was truly the biggest gift we ever received from spirit and from, from this person who is a very dear, very dear supporter. He supported many more times the Boa Foundation. We always send him many prayers because he truly created something that has been spreading healing to so many people, to thousands of people. And um, the foundation began actually when I met uh, my partner, Rudy, who started uh, in the Boa Foundation with me, which was at the crystal place where I also met Oh, right, right. Yeah, yeah, but it wasn't until later that and I began a relationship. But we met at this place, my partner and I, in, a, in an ayahuasca ceremony with Nina Wa, who is the first indigenous leader we started working with from the Hunikuin people. And uh, I had an initiation in this gathering with a spirit from the Amazon which was the spirit of a snake, a boa constrictor snake. And uh, three months after that, after we met, we were in the Amazon shooting our first documentary about indigenous culture. And, uh, Is that documentary out? No, we actually ended up not finishing it yet <laughs> okay. because then came it, into okay. place and all our energy was directed to that. But it will be soon. We're looking into it again. And... Um, we raised funds on Facebook, on, on social media, actually, through a crowdfunding campaign, asking all our friends to support us to get a well, an artesian well to them over there. They didn't have clean water to drink. We didn't want to go there empty-handed to film the documentary. We wanted to do a fair exchange because that's what we believe in. We don't believe in going to indigenous cultures and taking their stuff and giving nothing back. For us, the only good way to do these relations, intercultural relations, is within a sphere that is always rotating. We give with one hand, we take with one hand and we give back with another. No, for us, that's the only way it, it works and it will ever work. 
So we raised money like that. It was very easy. Um, it seemed like, yeah, spirits just opened the path and told us, okay, go, jump. And so we had to leave everything behind, our work, everything. We were making good money in our normal lives and we had to leave everything and say, okay, we need to embark on this. We found. And so there were many challenges. We were left completely without any money. <laughs> People asked us, how are you guys traveling? You don't work. What are you doing? How are you supporting yourself? We we're like, we have no idea. <laughs> One thing would come here, another there. And it was just enough to live. It was just enough to go and to keep going. And um, it was a beautiful journey. <laughs> is the foundation something that our listeners could support? Is there a website yeah. and things like that? Do you want to give us the URL for it? And then we'll put it in the show notes and on my Absolutely. on the blog post for this episode and everything. It's theboafoundation.org. The BOA, as in boa constrictor? Yeah. Or boa constrictor? Mm-hmm. Theboafoundation.org. Yes. Okay, BOA cool. also means good in Portuguese. Right. That's right. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. That's cool. That's funny. I never thought about that. Yeah. Uh, as I told you uh, a couple of days ago, I was there was a time when my Portuguese was getting pretty decent and then it all went away. <laughs> it wasn't meant to be apparently at that time. Um, let's see. Uh, I, I was. We were talking earlier at breakfast about the actual harvesting of the medicine. And I found that to be really fascinating. And you were talking about um, these sort of pilgrimages that you'll take out into the far reaches of the desert and actually harvest the medicine. uh, And that that can be done, of course, in a way that's not sustainable, where it doesn't come back and it can be done as the way you do it, of course, uh, which allows it to come back again in the next season and regrow. So walk us through what it's like to venture out into the desert in the middle of nowhere and look for these buttons and uh, how hard or easy it is to find them. Are they elusive to some and easier to find to others and things like that? Yeah, uh, this is part of the uh, sacred tradition of the Wirrarica people. Um, And then every year we prepare ourselves to, to go to do these offerings to the desert. No? It's part of this is, is more go to do that, no? honoring the ancestors no? um, and give thanks no? for everything uh, you receive uh, in, in all the year. No? Um, this is, this pilgrimage is a uh, very ancient tradition that the people do to the desert. And then we prepare ourselves like 15 days before we go to the pilgrimage. We start to do diet, we fast. Um, and then when we start the pilgrimage with the community, we do this uh, confession. We need to confess in the fire everything we we didn't did good during the all the year. Um, and then... We do a commitment to go all together and come back all together in a sacred way. We tied uh, everyone uh, to go to pilgrimage. You cannot allow to take a shower and change your clothes. And also you cannot take out your shoes. Um, you cannot eat salt. Uh, some days you cannot drink water. Um, you'll be allowed to be in, a, in the purest way to to go there to connect with this medicine. To sleep on the floor. Yeah. We, outside. And then, and then also we need to, 
before we need to do a, a hand of the tear. No, we need to go to hand the tear uh, in a sacred way. Also, we need to fast to do that, and then and then pray for the spirit of the tear if show. And then, uh, if if we don't have this, it's not possible to go to the pilgrimage. Then we need to prepare months before to have that. No? And then one time we we got the the tear, uh, they prepared the tear, and they cooked the meat for for the ceremony. They tried the meat, and then and then we go, uh, and then we give the offering of the tear there. We we the skin of the tear we offering there, and yeah, and sometimes it's it's difficult, no. Especially in the in the sacred place of Piricuta, where a lot of people go every year, uh, all the year people is going there. No, is over har- harvesting there, and then we saw no. There's uh, when we go there, we saw many holes in the in the earth, no? and we 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 saw the people take it with all the root, no, of the plant, no, and this is no no good because they kill the plant, no. And the way we do is just uh, we just cut the, the 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 head of the plant, and then we leave all the root, no. And then it's in, in that way they can grow again in in few months. They start to grow again, no, and they grow more, no, grow bigger. So, oh, really? Yeah, they come back stronger. Yeah, wow. Yeah, yeah. It's like you. It's like a tree, no. You cut just some branches of the tree, and they will grow more, no. But because the, the, this plant just show the head, all the plant grow into the earth. No, that's why is the power of this plant is grounded in the earth. No, um, and like that we can we can keep the medicine for forever. But there's a lot of people who doesn't have conscience about that, and and they say, okay, we'll take here and plant over there. But it's not possible. No, this is not the way to. We can preserve the medicine, uh, especially in Mexico. No, here in Texas also. Uh, some people say they have problem to find the medicine. No, also, I think so. Also, it's very magic. No, the the desert. Sometimes, depend on how you are. Probably you cannot find nothing. No. Many people say go to the desert and they don't find, find nothing, no? But that's why we prepare ourselves in that way, the fasting and, and healing ourselves before we go, no? And that way we can have this connection to, to find the plan, no? So part of that, um, that cleansing process fine-tunes your intuition and sort of internal GPS yeah. to lead you to the right area where yeah. you can find what you need. Mm-hmm. And then what about the, um, is there any sort of uh, process to the preservation of the cactus? Like, as I said, um, the, the powdered, ver- we had the powdered version, then we had these little slices that you called chips, which kind of look like, I don't know, similar to like maybe a, dried banana or something if it wasn't so symmetrical, right? But just, you know, these thin little slices that are quite dry. And um, I would say for me personally, um, not the tastiest thing I've ever eaten in the world from a culinary perspective. Um, Is it ever eaten fresh? Uh, Does it ever go bad? Does it last? Do the properties of it stay intact 
throughout travel? Does it need to be refrigerated? Kind of like, how do you actually care for it for future use and transport and whatnot? Uh, yeah, well, we're in Mexico. Like I say, we cut just the head and then uh, that's for preserve. You need to dry because if you don't dry, they can go off, especially if you don't have the root. No, if That's why a lot of people cut with the root because they can plant it and preserve. But the only way is just dry, you no, know, the, the medicine. I see. And is there any difference um, in terms of concentration with the powder? Or does that just make it easier to get get down because you can kind of swallow it with the tea or whatnot? No, it's, uh, it's the same. They don't lose the properties if you dry like in, in the right way. No, I suppose in the sun so much. Yes, yes with time and prayers. For either or both of you, you mentioned about someone's tumor disappearing. What are some of the other uh, moments or healings or experiences people have had or either of you had that stand out to you that are just really stop you in your tracks and you're going, whoa, this is serious business here? Uh, there have been many. One of my favorites was a guy that came. He was in the sharing circle. He said, Everyone, I feel so silly. I hear everyone here talking about love and their crazy transformations. And all I feel is loneliness and darkness. And then everyone from the sharing circle got up and went to give him a hug. And at that point, it really like broke everything. But he still left the first night feeling like he had the worst night of his life. He had a lot of pain because obviously... Depending on what one is carrying, this medicine can be painful. We store a lot of emotions. And our emotional brain is in our stomach. And so the medicine first scans the body and then it starts pulling out the trauma, the toxicity, everything that, that is stagnant in our bodies. And sometimes this process can be painful and discomfort and uncomfortable. And so this guy really did not want to come back to the second night. And... Uh, he said that he didn't want to give in to the parasite, therefore he came back to the mind parasite. But um, totally against his will, he ended up coming back. And in the second night, he said that he saw these entities coming out of him, serpents and dragons, this reptilian, three different reptilian entities came out of him. And um, his mom had told me, because how he got there, his brother came to one of our ceremonies and then he sent his mom and then his mom sent the other brother. And so his mom had told me he was a musician, but he hadn't played his guitar in five years. So I made him play. I asked him to play. The first night he refused. The second night I asked again and he played while we were blessing people. We were doing a flower blessing. And as he started playing, his music was so beautiful. Everyone was like, wow. And uh, he played songs which were relevant to the lives of each person during their flower blessings. And um, which was shared in the sharing circle afterwards. And I asked him, how did you know so many spiritual songs? He was like, I didn't. So he started channeling songs. Whoa. 
And then this guy was writing to us for months after saying, I can't believe what's happening. He had broken up with the wife, so they got back together immediately. And then he was offered, uh, uh, he wasn't... He was an actor, and and but he hadn't been working. He was doing his life was really stagnant in every way, and he started telling us about all these crazy events that started happening. Someone found a twenty thousand guitar in the bin and decided to sell it to him for a very very cheap price, which was his dream guitar. Someone else offered him a role in the movie. Someone else offered him to record an album, and then all these things started happening. He was like, I can't believe it. Even my wife is skeptical because. It's, he's like, peyote saved my life. And we've seen many, many cases like that of people that pray for something. And on Monday, they already got the answer. People that want to find their soulmates, like on Tuesday, they, they, you know, they fall in love. And uh, it's, it's, it's very, very magical. There was someone that hadn't felt their, their foot for a couple of years. I can't remember what happened in their foot. They, they heard it somehow. And he was dormant and then he awoke in the ceremony. There are many miraculous, miraculous cases. There was another guy that had the worst night of his life on the first night who came back the second night and then he saw his grandmother dancing in the room who was someone really important to him. He had a a lot of trauma when she passed and he couldn't understand how his grandmother was there dancing next to him in the room. It's very beautiful. It's very, very sacred. And we see incredible transformations in people every single time. I think it's fascinating the life that you two have. That was one thing in in ceremony. I was really becoming aware of or contemplating, you know, that you, Mm. you go on these tours, right? And you, you travel around and you get to bear witness to all of these miraculous healings just on an ongoing basis. And I find that so interesting, especially uh, from the standpoint that, as I understand it, and correct me if I'm wrong, that when you guys are holding ceremony, you're also partaking in the medicine. Is that is that a consistent thing? Is that kind of part of the experience or do you not always? I We have to, absolutely. Have to. Okay. Otherwise, other people would be up there and would be, <laughs> right, right. be here. <laughs> I mean, I'm just, you know, I, I, I don't know. For some reason, I always put myself in other people's shoes and think about, oh, you know, what would that life look like? And I'm like, oh my God, like every weekend you're staying up for 12 hours all night watching the sunrise like eating peyote it's just it's a very interesting life that you've carved out um and that or it's been carved out for you perhaps maybe more aptly stated we don't work every weekend <laughs> you don't work every weekend okay so you guys do take time <laughs> we off. work we work we do our own work um not that often we mainly work with our elders and got it we spend a lot of time in our spiritual commitments as well we work a lot with the foundation. And so these ceremonies we do, they're, they're not all the time. Okay. Yeah. I was picturing you guys just kind of like grinding every <laughs> weekend. I'm like, damn. Uh, it was pretty, you know, from the the sleep deprivation part of it for me was pretty grueling. You know, the second night of ceremony, um, I think I had only slept. I took a two hour nap or something, I think on um, Saturday afternoon. Mm-hmm. And then just rolled over to the second ceremony and all night. I think really the most challenging thing for me was just being so exhausted, not sleepy. I probably would, couldn't have even slept because the medicine and the environment and the whole energies, but 
I was just like, oh my God, I would give anything to just lay down, you know? And because of the the container that you guys are creating, laying down is not part of the, you know, the uh, the formula there. And so I wanted to be respectful of that, of course. And I'm sitting up <laughs> and I'm just, my back's hurting. I'm just going, oh my God, I would just give anything right now if you guys were like, you know what? Let's take a break, you guys. Everyone lie down for a couple hours, you know, take a nap. I was just, no, I know that's not going to happen. <laughs> but I found that to be... Um, to be really challenging. But then as the, as the second ceremony ended on Sunday morning, yesterday morning, um, I actually got the sense that, I mean, I could have slept more. I just, I wanted to hang around here and Mm -hmm. meet people. And it was just, you know, it is what it is. I could have gotten a lot more sleep, but it worked out that way. But I actually saw that like the lack of sleep, I think in a sense, perhaps took some of my defenses down Mm -hmm. So I didn't have the energy to kind of try and control anything or manage anything. And it lowered my comparisons of other similar experiences and all that stuff. So I was just kind of like left defenseless and open and in mm-hmm. a positive way, vulnerable to what was meant to happen. And then when we did the the um, closing circle and um, I was, you know, reflecting on the most profound experience for me, which was the flower blessing and the song that was played during that moment. And it was just like, oh, wow. I I kind of see why the ceremonies are run this way rather than like start at 10 a.m. and done at seven. Everyone (laughs) go to bed now, you know? And it occurred to me this morning, actually, in reflection of that element of kind of the all night and the sleep deprivation and everything was that um, I sense that there's really different sort of cosmic energies going on at different points during the the late at night or early in the morning, rather, uh, where things are activated in a sense, you know, and it brought me back to thinking about some of the yogic traditions of sadhana, where Mm -hmm. you get up at three or four in the morning and, you know, that's when the energies of the planet are really aligned and the stars and there's something magical that happens there, you know? And so um, that kind of helped me to ease into that and know, okay, there's a reason why it's done this way. It's not by accident or it's not (laughs) meant to be hard just so it sucks for you. It's like, you have to have the discipline to really um, see it through, right? And trusting the process. And so it was really, really beautiful to be able to reflect on that part of it. I think, you know, a lot of um, indigenous traditions is about to transcend physical limitations. So for some people, that's easier than to others, you know? But it's about to get out of the mind, which tries to fool us into thinking we can't, we're too tired, we're this or we're that, we're not feeling anything. And tuning into the heart. And the more we pray, the more we get into spirit mode. And then the physical no longer has control. No. Whenever we do vision quests, for instance, we have four days on top of a mountain, no food, no water, no sleep. And uh, every day you get stronger. The more you pray, the less thirsty you become. There is someone over there in the fire praying for you, drinking water for you. And so you arrive there the first day, but the fourth day you leave, you are more energized than when you got there. No, and it's all about the mind. I always say when people want to give up, you know, the way we do one thing is the way we do everything. If you're going to allow yourself to give up, then that's what you do always in life. When a challenge arises, will you rise up to it and say, I can and go for it and conquer the challenge? Or are you going to say, oh, I can't, I'm not strong enough. I'm not good enough. <laughs> There's no way I could have left ceremony. I, I, would, I wouldn't be able to live with myself. I would feel like 
<laughs> such a wuss if I couldn't hang. But, you know, I won't say the thought didn't occur to me at certain <laughs> points when my back was just so uncomfortable, you know. But as you said, like getting back into my heart, I think another piece of guidance you gave was when you feel uncomfortable or sick to really just breathe into it. And that's what I would do and just kind of get in my heart and my body and breathe. And then, you know, then I'd at least get a few minutes of reprieve from the discomfort or tiredness mm-hmm. and then I'd come back and I'd do the same thing. So it was great to have that. But there was one, um, there was one point at which, you know, we were starting another process of the ceremony and there was someone missing. You guys are really good about doing kind of a head count, making sure that the group container is intact and everyone's part of it. And someone was missing and um and you weren't having that and you left the the room and uh and went and found this guy and kind of dragged him back in there, you know, I think somewhat reluctantly. And it was it was neat to see his share the next morning going, oh my God, thank God I came back in because I I got the miracle that I was looking for and the insights I was looking for. And I would have felt so bad for him to have missed out on that experience, you know. But we don't never let anyone leave halfway through ceremony. You made a commitment, you came, now you have to finish it. Yeah. You have to honor this, this spirit. You can simply eat this medicine and then go to sleep. That's right. not what this medicine is for. No. Yeah, I was kind of bummed about that, <laughs> to be honest. So, you know, one thing I really like about uh, ayahuasca ceremony, I mean, and I've only had kind of, two traditions of that eight eight times at this point. Um, but one thing I really like is that you have a really comfortable little mat. And, you know, if I feel like I just need mm. to sleep, I go to sleep for a few hours, wake up, do some work. You know, it's much kind of looser in that sense. Not you know? with our elders. Yeah. Not with the no? ayahuasca. Oh my God. I, <laughs> no, I, 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 honestly, <laughs> I don't know if I could take ayahuasca in the setting in which your ceremony was held where you have to stay awake and stay seated. I don't know if I could hang, man. Like... I mean, I guess you don't know until you try, but... Yeah, was, with uh, my teacher, with Banky, no one lies down. Really? Mm-mm. Oh my God. Not allowed. You have to stay up. So the energy comes from above. You're aligned. And as still as you can be. It doesn't like anyone to move too much. Sitting there meditating. That's it. <laughs> Do either or both of you still have any interest in pursuing other medicines like ayahuasca? Is that part of your journey or have you settled on the peyote as your path solely? You know, if we have, I had this commitment in the Amazon, which I was doing and decided to join me because either he joined me or he had to be without me for three months. So this is not necessarily to take a commitment to work with ayahuasca, but this is the deepest cleanse we can have. You know, we're there for three months, a year, and uh, we're drinking all these different plants that cleanse our body, cleanse our blood, our cells, everything, all the toxicity in our thoughts, in our emotions. And uh, we can't be together intimately for half of the year because of our studies. Not when we are there, not when we are in the pilgrimage in Mexico, And also when we come back from those, we have to have some time (laughs) out. And this really helps us to receive more energy, to have more energy to work with people, no? And to always be clear. And so this is an effort we're making for our spiritual path to be able to learn more. And uh, a commitment with one plant is difficult enough and uh, is a lifetime of commitment, no? And so... I don't know what the future will bring, but um, we're just 
extremely dedicated to our spiritual path and to to being the best version of ourselves. <laughs> After you having your experience with peyote, what was what was it like for you uh, in your first ayahuasca ceremony? Um, yeah, that, that was amazing, very magic. The first time I have uh, the opportunity to get this magic drink, the ayahuasca. Uh, they opened me also other other war also about this that was very strong that was in in our homeland and um, with a a taita from colombia um and yeah that was very powerful we saw that i think was more of the most powerful ceremonies i ever had uh because the intention we had that was also very strong and yeah i started to like it but I didn't do so much until I started to go to Brazil. Over there, uh, the first time I was in in the community with with the Chaninka, we was one month every night was drinking. I started to like it because for me it was like a a teacher. Every night we go to the classroom and, and contact with this t- teacher in person, like it's a, like a feminine feminine energy, you know like very relate with the spirit of the mother earth of the spirit of the jungle and then she's very kind but she also uh show you everything no especially if you are not aligned with yourself she will cleanse you very quickly no and in the beginning when i was no walking so correctly or lining with especially with the the sexual energies that was that was tough for me, and that's, I was a little scared of the of this spirit, no, of this plan. But one time I start to align, and then we got the commitment. I start to love it because really take me to uh, places uh, where I can work and help other people, no. Uh, um, and yeah, I can connect and I can, I, I, they, the plan give you the ability to, to travel, uh, travel in the spiritual world and go to visit people and show you things you need to do. And it's, it's very, very magic, this plan. And when you start to commit and especially start when I, I did the commitment, no? it was the last year and then I spent three months there. And cleansing. Um, I saw many people that suffer a lot when they drink that because they don't want to really kill themselves, no? But when you are in a in a good position, you just uh, just there are pure teachings, no? With a lot of love, with uh, with a lot of uh, spiritual experience, no? To help you to grow, understand more. So you did it in that particular experience? You did it every day for a month? Is that what you said? Yeah, the first one. <laughs> oh, was, and then the second was three months every night. Also. Oh my God, dude. That's the dieta. Wow. That is, I literally can't imagine that. And it was after that when he did the first one month experience that I was ready to break up with him when he arrived. When we left there, 
we made this commitment to each other for the rest of our lives. That was where we got married as, as we left there. Wow. He transformed so much that actually our teacher then in Mexico, before we took the Marakami commitment, or during the, the pilgrimage when we took the Marakami commitment, he tied our spirits together and said, we can never separate anymore for the rest of our lives. He said, you better be sure because some people change their minds and they're stuck forever and they can't separate. Wow. <laughs> that brings me to the second, there's one thing I want to cover after this, but second to the last thing is you talked a bit about uh, just our human sexuality and practices mm -hmm. and your support of the monogamy commitment in a relationship. Can you talk a little bit about your perception on sex and how we interact with one another in mm -hmm. that way? Well, our sexual energy is the most sacred energy we have. It's the most powerful as well. And uh, these practices, no, including Kundalini Yoga and many practices, open that energy, which is supposed, we are supposed to raise it to, to our crown and then become whole. But whenever we have sex with someone and release that energy, we're wasting vital energy. So for someone that is constantly having sex with different people, they're wasting so much energy, leaving it around. And so never harnessing it, never growing it. And whenever we make this intimate connection with someone, we are connecting all our chakras, we are connecting our beings with someone else. So we say never sleep with someone you wouldn't want to be because it's such a big exchange of energies. And in most indigenous cultures, there is some sort of practice to release those connections. No, in the Virarika tradition, every time we have to confess all our sexual partners that we've had up until that point. No, when we're married, now we don't need to do that anymore. We've done it. No, but everyone that doesn't have a partner has to cleanse, remember all their sexual partners to cleanse, to cut those energetic ties because those pull our energy. And sometimes we carry them for the rest of our lives. Can you imagine carrying energy from someone you slept with 10 years ago on a night out drunk? You know, it's, it's very, and also people, people that like to flirt, women, they love to seduce every man they see around. When Another those type. men, yeah, when those men are thinking about that woman, they're pulling her energy. They're delaying her life. No, so actually this type of exchange is not beneficial at all to someone. This type of uh, seducing people and engaging with people in that way. And uh, there's nothing more beautiful no, than falling in love with someone, having nothing to hide. And uh, a relationship truly is also a big initiation no, for you to create that sacred bond with someone and be able to fall in love with a person more and more every day, no matter how many years you've been together. Every time you look into that person's eyes, you fall in love again and you rediscover yourself every day with them. Because a relationship is the biggest mirror we can have, no? Into our own shit, into our own selves. And so if we can arrive to a point where those, when those mirrors arise, the other person can hold space, no? We can understand each other and we can recognize our own things rather than pointing out and saying, your fault, you do this, this, this and that. No, 
you're helping me see something inside of me that is arising for me to heal. So when there is that level of understanding and comprehension and support, and whenever there is also sacred sex, connecting in a sacred way in prayer, this, this practice also leads to illumination. No? It leads to the creation of astral bodies that can take you traveling into space, into other dimensions. And it's also the energy of manifestation. A couple, an aligned couple, aligned through this kind of bond can manifest anything. It's the energy of creation. We can create together. No? And uh, I think it's very easy. No judgment to the ones that choose to live like that. There are some indigenous cultures we work with where men have multiple wives. I guess it's more from a perspective of procreation in a time where those cultures nearly got, were nearly extinct. But for me, the true alignment that I see is, you know, it's, it's very easy for, for to be jumping from person to person. When things get hard with one, we go to another. Things get hard with another, we go to another. But like that, we're never getting to the core of why those things are happening and how we can transmute them inside of ourselves to live in total harmony and to not... Also for me, love and lust are two completely different things. For me to love someone, I don't need to sleep with them. I love so many people so dearly, you know, that I can have a relationship to cuddle and to, and to you know, be very affectionate. But, you know, I don't need to sleep with anybody to love them in that way. For me, well, you know, with my husband, it's not sex. It's something, it's something else. No, it's a deep soul connection that there's nothing more beautiful than that. No, that's nothing amazing. can compare. <laughs> That's amazing. I, I agree. Although I don't have as much experience as that <laughs> in Yet. my life, but I'm getting there. You know? <laughs> I'm getting there. I'm, I'm entering into that into that realm over the past few years, and I think I would definitely agree. Yeah. Uh, the last thing I want to cover, and uh, just this is my own personal curiosity, but is the phenomenon of this amazing cat that you have that we all call the Bobcat, and I'm. I'm Find a way, you guys listening, to post a photo, and maybe I'll get a photo from his Instagram. And I'll bring him. Put that in the in the post. Um, those of you watching the YouTube video, you'll you'll know that the cat was formerly sitting here on this um, rose colored velvet couch. Um, but this cat was, you know, with us in parts of the ceremony, and is just the most phenomenal creature I've <laughs> ever seen. It's just totally, it's just bizarre. So, where'd you get the cat? What? type of cat is it? And then more importantly, what I found probably more fascinating than a cat itself is the fact that you told me the story of, of getting the cat and then the, that you've fed him, you know, minute kind of micro cat doses of peyote and that that's transformed the cat's personality and kind of mental health and stuff like that. So run me through that story because I think it's just so cool. Shall I bring him for this? Yeah, go for it. <laughs> go for it. Yeah. So the people watching, can, you know, know what I'm talking about now. Um, while she's grabbing the cat, guys, I'll, I'll just say um, it's really interesting because in ceremony, uh, the cat wasn't there the whole time, you know, just at kind of toward the end at key moments, but there were also dogs present. And uh, all these dogs, man, they would not mess with that cat. <laughs> no one's, none of the dogs tried to step to that cat, man. They were, the cat would kind of just fearlessly step up to these little dogs. I mean, there's a couple big ones around and a couple small ones. And man, those dogs were not playing with that cat. It was really fun to see. 
And here he is, the star of the show. What an amazing creature. So what is the breed of this here? Maine Coon. Maine Coon, Mm -hmm. it's called. Okay. And where do they originate from? From the region of Maine in the United States. Oh, really? Mm -hmm. I thought it would be something more complex than that. Yeah, this particular one came from China. But um, because I saw saw a, a video of him and I knew that it was him. No, I felt the connection with the spirit of this cat from the first time I laid out on him. I laid my eyes on him and did not want him at all. Wanted to hear nothing about cats. And now he's totally in love with his son. <laughs> when you first sat down, he was like staring at me with those big golden eyes. I'm mm. like, wow, he really sees me. It's very interesting. He's he has a, <laughs> a definite consciousness. So. Um, for those that are just listening and can't hear, this cat is, uh, I would say, kind of like silver, gray, and black, and it's just absolutely enormous. How much does he weigh? He you know? weighs, I don't know now, about 10 kilos. I don't know how much that is. In- 18 pounds. Damn. And uh, he's only a kitten. He's 10 That's months old. That's what you old. were telling me. So they could, this breed continues to grow for five years? Yeah, they grow until they're five. They're the largest domestic cats in the world. And uh, they, he looks like a mini lynx. The color is called black smoke. Oh, cool. And I noticed that you, you know, at times kept him on a leash. And then you were, I think you told me that you walk around cities with him. Like, yeah. Walk him like a dog. <laughs> yeah, they have, these cats are known to have more like dog-like personalities. They, they learn to walk on a leash and uh, normally just in nature. But this one does walk in cities as well. Wow. (laughs) I carry him a lot of the time. But this cat is magical. He works with us in the spiritual world. In every ceremony, I see him in the spiritual realms. Even when I'm sitting in sweat lodges, I see him in the rocks. He, He does healing work on people. It's incredible. He's very, very magical. The cats, they are the guardians of the spiritual portals. The dogs are guardians of the physical and the cats of the spiritual. So we've also uh, realized that he's been cleansing us. And uh, he's also a rain god. <laughs> you tell his story. Tell us his, tell us his name and um, Instagram handle so people can go check him out. His name is Tlaloc. His Instagram is SR underline Tlaloc. T-L-A-C-O-C. Cool. And then lastly, tell me about feeding him peyote and what that did for him and to him. So when he came, um, he he traveled all the way. He traveled far. And um, I'd been praying. When I, when I saw I was going to get him, I was praying to his spirit. So when he came, he knew me already. But uh, he was very shy with people. He was still adapting. So I gave him a micro tiny dose just for him to, to relax. And uh, I gave it to him a few times in the first few days. And he became totally used to us. He relaxed around people. He is, he's like a teddy bear. He sits on my lap. We travel with him on the plane. He just comes sitting and he stays like this. He's so sweet. And you were telling me, I think, um, that it's somewhat common that people will give dogs and 
their pets small bits of peyote at different times for that healing experience. You've witnessed they that with dogs as well? They, they do transform and dogs are barking too much. Sometimes many people bring dogs to, to our place and uh, we give them a tiny dose and people report their, their dogs transformed. Stop barking too much. Stop being like uh, sometimes dogs are a bit hectic, cats scared of people. And they really relax a lot. They become much more tuned in to the energy of the place, relaxed. You know, like it does to us. It's it's a magical in, in the community over there, kids take it, pregnant women take it, little kids, they start this commitment that we have at five years old. Because wow. at that age they're so pure, they have nothing toxic. So they never vomit. They're always happy, dancing. And by 10 years old, they are master shaman. You know? <laughs> oh my God, that's wild. Yeah. And you know, people from outside cannot do this commitment unless they've had years of work. No, this is not something anybody can come and do. But a child, a child has no negative feelings, has no anger, has nothing. So for them, whenever they take this, they connect straight up. Wow, that's fantastic. I want to give some to my dog, Cookie. Mm-hmm. I think that could be really interesting. Yeah, everybody looks at Tlaloc and they're like, what is that? How is a cat this well-behaved? Yeah. How is a cat not scared of going around? He's just... Well, when you went to grab him, I was telling the audience, just kind of fill the, the time gap in there, how the dogs in ceremony were like, don't, you know, he, the cat wasn't aggressive or anything. He just, just stand there and face off with the dogs and none of the dogs would come near him, man. They no, really had respect for him. No dogs have ever attacked him, not in the street. Not, no dogs have ever barked at him wow. because they see his spirit. They're intimidated. That's so crazy, man. That's so crazy. Well, I think that's a really good point to end on the spirit of cat. And uh, I want to just thank you guys so much for this beautiful experience. It's been so, oh, so profound and moving in so many ways. And it was just like icing on the cake to be able to sit down with both of you and get to know you. And also to, um, you know, enable the audience and the people listening and watching to this to get to know you and to perhaps if they're called and it's appropriate for them at this point in their life to explore this world a bit because um, it's been a short time for me, but it's already been just really transformative and in alignment. So thank you for the work that you're doing and thank you to your commitment you. and the fact that you guys are like so deeply, um, you know, uh, aligned with the traditions and uh, are finding the discipline and dedication to do it in the way in which you are. So thank right. you so much. I, I pray for you and I thank you very much. Thank you so thank much. You. Thank you for joining me on another meaningful episode of the Lifestylist Podcast with our anonymous and very wise guests. In the coming weeks, I'll be launching something called the EMF Masterclass. Now, I've been getting so many questions over the past four years running this podcast about how to deal with EMFs in your life and specifically in your home. So I created a very comprehensive and easy to understand, easy to apply online class. You can find that at lukestory.com forward slash EMF masterclass. That's lukestory.com slash EMF masterclass. Now on a US phone, you can also text to get on the wait list for this class by texting the word EMF masterclass to the number 44222 on any US phone. 
Text this word, EMF Masterclass, to the number 44222, or use your browser to go to lukestory.com slash EMF Masterclass. If you use that link now and get on the wait list for this course, you're going to save yourself $100. That's right. Everyone who signs up for the wait list is going to be the first to know and will receive an exclusive $100 discount. That's lukestory.com EMF Masterclass. All right, let's thank our official sponsors now. We've got Just Thrive. Uh, that's just thriveprobiotic.com. You can save yourself 15% off there with the code Luke15. Then we've got our friends over at Juve, our red light therapy. I did some Juve red light therapy just prior to this recording before I jumped in the ice bath. It's part of my daily routine. I would say 300 days a year or so. Now, honestly, I do it every day when I'm at home unless I travel. So you can go to juve.com, J-O-O-V-V.com slash Luke, enter the code Luke at checkout and get a free gift. And we've got our friends over at Cured Nutrition. The code there is Lifestylist and saves you 15%. CuredNutrition.com is where you're going to find some great nootropic and medicinal mushroom, CBD-infused sleep formula, as well as nootropics. That's CuredNutrition.com. And just as a heads up, uh, you can find all of my sponsors all of the time, including the exclusive discount links that I give on this show over at my online store. That's lukestory.com forward slash store. I just feel like I read like a thousand links. But uh, anyway, everything can be found at the store uh, with the exception of the EMF Masterclass waiting list signup, which again is lukestory.com forward slash EMF Masterclass. Thank you so much for joining me. And uh, I can't wait to bring you another episode next week.